At this time, those who will be remaining in the sanctuary, if you would please turn to Psalm 57. Psalm 57. This morning we get to see Jesus is the one worthy of our praise. Psalm 57, beginning in verse 1. For the choir director set to Al-Tashheth, a victim of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me. For my soul takes refuge in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me, Selah. God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. My soul is among lions. I must lie down among those who breathe forth fire. Even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. Let your <clears throat> They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me. They themselves have fallen in the midst of it. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises. Awake, my glory, awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your loving kindness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for the gift that it is to us. Thank you that it teaches us, that it instructs us, that it convicts us, that it transforms us, that it causes us to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this morning that our minds will be attentive, that our hearts will be open, and that we will be made into the likeness of your Son. In his name we pray. Amen. So this morning... David starts with the goodness of God to his people. The goodness of God to his people. We've talked about this a lot in the past several weeks in the Psalms that we've been walking through because it's sort of following a, a line of the Psalms historically written in the time frame when David was fleeing regularly from Saul. And he was having to go to his enemy's house and he was having to make friends with people he didn't need to make friends with normally and having to hide in caves. And this specific psalm even gives that indicator in, this, in the subscript of, the, of when David went and hid in a cave from Saul. And what David starts with in this life-altering, life-threatening circumstance is the goodness of God to his people. Now, it's not in your notes, but I just want to start here. When we're facing the worst of circumstances, and and David, you could argue, is facing some of the worst of circumstances. Do we start our evaluation and our response to the worst of circumstances with 
hey, I just want to dwell on and think about, sing about, write about, talk about the goodness of God to his people. Is that where we start usually? Maybe we do and praise God if we do. But if we're honest, most of us, when we're facing the most difficult of circumstances, usually dwell on the difficulty of the circumstance rather than the goodness of God. David had a lot of room here to bellyache and complain and be frustrated and to be angry and to be anxious and to be fearful. He's hiding in a cave from a man who's gathered an army who's now the false king of the nation of Israel, now that David is the true and right king of the nation of Israel. And he's pursuing him with all the resources he has to kill him so he can remain king. It's a pretty tough spot to be in. And while he's hiding in that cave, that's the context of the psalm, While he's hiding in that cave, worried that he might die, he starts with the goodness of God to his people. There's a great lesson for us to learn right there in that moment. So let's take a look and see what what goodness of God to his people David is, is praising the Lord for and exalting the Lord for. First, David praises God's grace, that God is a God of grace. Be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me. Friends, it starts and it ends and everything in the middle of the start and the end flows from, to, toward, out of all the prepositions that you can think of, God's grace. If it were not for God's grace, there would be no hope. David is a man of God's covenant. David is in The hand of God. God himself has placed his love on David. There is no circumstance that can truly make life miserable for David because he has been fully and richly blessed to be called a child of God. And I think sometimes what happens is we get the faulty notion that somehow if life is hard, God must not care about us. That God must not be demonstrating his grace to us because if he were demonstrating his grace to us, things wouldn't be as difficult for us as they are. Friends, hear me this morning. The severity of your circumstances has nothing to do with God's grace toward you. Do it like this. We'll have a little interactive quiz this morning because I I don't feel like this point's getting through. 
Did God the Father, it's Advent season, we're talking about the birth of the second person of the Trinity, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did God the Father love God the Son? Now, look, everybody got an A on the quiz. It's awesome. Yes, he did. He loved him with the triune, everlasting, covenantal love of the persons of the Trinity. And yet, when he was incarnate on this earth at the first advent, did he face sorrow? Yes. Did he face suffering? Yes. Did he face Pain? Yes. Did he face abandonment of those closest to him, leaving him alone to suffer essentially by himself? Yes. Did he suffer false accusations? Yes. Did he suffer physical abuse? Yes. Did he suffer a death he did not deserve? Yes. But God still loved him. The gospel is a profound picture that in spite of the severity of your circumstances, if God has marked you with his covenant love, if he's demonstrated his grace to you, you are richly blessed. And so David, as a miniature picture of this gospel is hiding in the depths of a dark cave. If we had more time this morning, we would connect the two realities of the tomb cave of Jesus and the cave that David is hiding in. And the fact that though David is as good as dead because Saul is pursuing him, he's as good as dead because he can't sit on his throne. He's as good as dead because no one is following him. He's as good as dead because he has no power in Israel, is hiding in the depths of a dark cave where they would often bury people. And yet he's praising God for his life-giving grace. A wonderful picture of resurrection. But we don't have time for that. So we won't talk about it this morning. So the second thing that David praises God for is his protection. Second part of verse one said, be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me for my soul takes refuge in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. Friends, even if your circumstances are trying, even if your circumstances are severe, even if you're going through a profound level of suffering, if you are in Christ, that if you are in the covenant relationship with Almighty God because of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, God is protecting you. Now, we sometimes mix that up. And I don't mean to throw anybody under the bus here. I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings. But this is the place where we correct bad ideas. Okay? There's a whole bunch of people in my life where I've heard them pray prayers that are essentially health, wealth, and prosperity prayers. God, we're going into this dangerous place. God, we're about to do this thing. God, we're about to have this surgery. God, we're about to... This this thing is about to happen. And God, show us your glory by protecting us from... And then we usually plug in the possible negative circumstances that could flow from whatever it is that we're about to be engaged in. As if 
God's protection for us is truly demonstrated in the physical realm of protection. No. No. Otherwise, the great martyrs of our faith were colossal failures in their prayer life. God protect us from the mouths of the lions. And then they got mauled to death. Oh, wow. They probably just needed a little more faith. It's not how that works. What is it that God is truly protecting us from? Hear me this morning, friends. The great refuge of God. God is the place that we run to. To be protected from and forgiven of and relieved from the consequences of our own rebellion against God when we lived in our sin. That's what God is protecting us from. God is protecting us from his own righteous wrath. That's what he's protecting us from. By being forgiven, by having God's grace applied to us, we now do not have to fear the judgment of Almighty God. David had no idea if he would come out of that cave alive. None. No idea. I mentioned it a few weeks ago as an illustration, but it's the, one of the greatest Old Testament illustrations of this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had no idea if they would be burned up when they got thrown into the fire. When they, when they said they wouldn't bow down to the image of the king, they knew God could save them. They also knew that God did not have to save them. But they would still do what was right regardless of what God did in this physical realm. Because they had a greater concern, as Jesus says in the New Testament, of fearing the one who can destroy both body and soul, rather than just fearing the one who can destroy the body. David is honoring the glory and power of God. He's not fearing the power of Saul. This is what's happening. And so he praises God for the goodness of both his grace and his protection. And then David moves on. And David praises God's goodness for his work on our behalf. Listen to what he says in verse 2. I will cry to God most high, to God who does what? Accomplishes all things for me. Humans in our fallen state are profoundly arrogant creatures. Because we feel like we deserve a lot of credit for a lot of stuff that really isn't on us. If I wanted to, I could brag about a lot of things that I've accomplished in my life. The Apostle Paul basically said the same thing in one of his letters. Hey, if anybody has room to boast, it's me. And he starts running through the list of stuff that he could boast about. But he doesn't do that. Why not? Think about all the accomplishments in this room that you have. As I scan the room and have gotten to know people here at Sylvania for all the years that I've been the pastor, there's a lot of accomplishment in this room. And yeah, 
Some of you worked really, really hard to accomplish some of the things that you accomplished. You overcame a lot of adversity to do some of the things that you did. But if you strip it all the way back, the only reason that any of us accomplished any of the things that we have done is because God has supplied the capacity, the ability, the environment, and the opportunities for us to make any accomplishments at all. Why did David become king? Because God said a son of the house of Jesse would be king. So does David get to brag? Ha, I made sure I was born in the house of Jesse. No, he didn't get to do that. He had nothing to do with that. It wasn't his choice. It wasn't his decision. God made that choice. And even when the prophet came to Jesse and said, hey, one of your kids is going to be king. Jesse so thought it wasn't going to be David because he was the runt of the litter out in the field. He didn't even call him home to be considered by the prophet to be king. Everything that David accomplished is because God did something great. In this room, most of the things that you've accomplished is because God saw fit to have you born in a place where you had the freedom and the capacity and the opportunity to pursue all manner of things. You could have just as well been born in the Arabian desert with almost none of the opportunities that you have right now. God is the one who creates, sets up, and fills all of our environments for any value that comes out of our life, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. And notice what it says. To God who accomplishes all things for me. If I'm going to live, it's because God has declared that I will live. If I'm going to die, it's because God has declared that I'm going to die. If I'm going to be king, it's because God has declared that I'm going to be king. If we're going to win this war, it's because God has declared that we will have victory. It is the Lord who accomplishes all things for me. David took no credit for any of it. And friends, God is good. When we consider all of the work that he has done on our behalf. Friend, you got out of bed this morning breathing. And you traveled quite comfortably to an air-conditioned worship center. Where for the most part, you have no fear at all of anyone persecuting you while you praise God with your brothers and sisters in Christ. We publicly baptized people on the internet for anyone who's watching to see us make this declaration of people coming to the knowledge of Christ with no fear of repercussions for that action. We didn't do that. God has accomplished all things for us. And he is good. Next, David gives a praise, God's goodness for his people in God's salvation. Notice what he says. He will send from heaven and save me. There's a lot going on, especially now that we're in Advent season, a whole lot that we could do with that. He will send from heaven and will save me. 
God's salvation is a demonstration of his goodness to his people. Hear me this morning. And I know that this bothers some people's theology. But I just don't care. Because the scripture makes it very plain. God did not have to save you. I mean, that man, that really, see the looks on faces when I say that out loud from a pulpit. You know, get this weird contortion. It makes me uncomfortable to say it as it makes you to hear it. But God did not have to save you. God did not have to save me. God would have been completely just and righteous and holy to have left me in my sin and had me fall under his divine judgment for my rebellious heart that has marred his image in this world. God would have been just and glorious to do so. But God, being rich in mercy... mm, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's salvation is a demonstration of God's goodness to his people. And it doesn't matter if you're sitting in a dark cave all by yourself wondering when they're going to walk through the door and kill you. You are in a wonderful place if you know that God has saved your soul from sin. Next, and this one is a bit uncomfortable, but it's just the truth and it's a wonderful truth. It's a hard truth to comprehend and press right now, but it is a glorious, glorious truth. David also praises God's goodness to his people because of God's judgment. Notice the second half of verse three. Not only does God send from heaven and save me, but he reproaches him who tramples upon me. That language of snapping. We saw that last time. The enemy that is unredeemed, God judges them. Just as God is worthy of worship and praise for his mercy and salvation, God is worthy of worship and praise for exercising his just righteous judgment in the world. And that makes us uncomfortable. Because it feels kind of weird thanking God that he's a Righteous judge. It feels kind of weird. I would encourage you to go to the end of Isaiah. Last three or four chapters. I would encourage you to go to a few of the last chapters in the book of Revelation. Especially where it talks about the downfall of the great Babylon. And I would like for you to examine. The songs that are sung. In praise to God. For his judgment on the wicked. You don't necessarily have to be super comfortable with that idea right now. But there is coming a day in your pro uh, in this process of being sanctified and glorified one day in the eschatological future where you will sing praises to God for his judgment. You will thank God in song. That he has crushed the wicked. Because it's a demonstration of God's goodness. That God does not allow wickedness to go unchecked and unpunished. He does not let sin slide. And we do it all the time. As wicked people. 
We turn a blind eye to that which is wicked and we excuse it away or we ignore it or we justify it or we just kind of accept it socially or whatever it is that we do with it. We play with this dangerous thing of wickedness as if it's some toy. God does not do that. And then finally, David thanks God praises God for his goodness to his people by way of demonstrating his mercy and his truth. Notice what it says here at the end of verse three. God will send forth his loving kindness. That's God's merciful love and his truth. Friends, almost all of our worship songs in one way or another are centered around that theme. Thank you, God, for your love. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you, God, for your truth. And it's a demonstration of how good God is to his people, that he has a mercy, a mercy filled love that he gives us and that he supplies us what is actually true. And then David makes a transition off of this. Pray- now, notice he's hiding in a cave and he's praising God for his goodness to his people in all of these ways. And then he moves to the struggle he's having with the enemy. He addresses the issue head on and he talks about the danger of the enemy in verses four through six, how dangerous the enemy is. And I want you to notice the speech metaphors that he uses. My soul is among the lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire. Now, I just want to throw out that. Lion. Likely not the best translation of this particular Hebrew word to describe this animal. Because lions don't breathe fire. David knew that. Remember, he fought the lion to save the sheep. He he knew what lions did and didn't do. He knows that they don't breathe fire. So he's probably talking about something else. But we'll go with lion. That's fine. Imagine a fire breathing lion. Let's make it really cool this morning. We'll CGI it, man. We'll blue screen it. It'll be amazing on the short series that Netflix will release about it. It'll be great. My soul is among the lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire. Even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, their tongue is a sharp sword. All of this really is language that's kind of hovering around the mouth, the notion of speech. There's a lot of speech metaphors here. The one who's breathing out fire, the one whose teeth are like spears and arrow, the tongue that's a sharp sword. Friends, most of the danger that we face from those that are truly enemies of the gospel is not a danger of physical death. It's a danger of verbal destruction. The ability to use speech to crush a thing is incredible. It's incredible the power of speech. And we've talked about this from the Psalms because the Psalms has a lot to say about how we use our mouths. But all it would take tomorrow is for someone in some place who has a lot of heavy equipment and enough people to stand up and give a rousing speech and then to sign a declaration of war. And who knows how many countless millions of lives would be lost. Not because of some act of aggression, but because of the act of, of verbalizing the desire to be aggressive. 
It's the power of the spoken and written word. And this is what David is declaring is the great danger of the enemy that he's facing. Yes, they're trying to kill me. Yes, I'm hiding in a cave. But more than that, they're lying and they're maligning my character and they're publicly denying the covenant of God and they're misrepresenting God's glory to the people and they're turning people away from the true faith. All of these things are verbal realities that David is expressing are really the true danger of the enemy that he faces. Let us stand in the midst of a thousand wars rather than have one false prophet be believed by the masses. But notice what David says, that God will cause them to fall into their own traps. God will make them stumble and God will be exalted in their judgment. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above the earth. For they have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me, but they themselves have fallen into the midst of it. God's righteous and good judgment that David was praising him for just moments ago. And then he closes the psalm in 7 through 11. Praise be to God, for he is good. Notice this Hebrew poem parallel structure. God is good. The enemy is bad. God is good. We love this flow that happens. Notice what he says. My heart is ready. My heart is steadfast. Oh, God, my heart is steadfast. Whenever there is repetition in Hebrew poetry, it's for emphasis. And so he starts by emphasizing God's grace. He ends by emphasizing that his heart is ready. It's steadfast. It's steady. It's stable. Regardless of the circumstances that he is facing, he is prepared to meet those circumstances head on because he trusts in the goodness of God. And then what does he do? He does what most of us would not do in the worst of circumstances. He calls for an awakening to worship. Awaken worship, even in the midst of trials. Notice what it says. Awake my glory. Awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. And then he begins talking about these praises that he's going to sing, giving thanks to God and how he's going to praise him. Before he moved into the awakening notion, after he declared his steadfastness, he said that he will sing praises to God and he doubled it up, emphasizing the desire to worship the Lord in song. It's so weird and odd to me. I would would like to be able to stand here in front of you and say that I've arrived at some level of walking in the faith, that this is normal for me. But when I read the stories in the Old and the New Testament, when I read stories of great men and women of the faith throughout the history of the church who who responded to the, the worst of their circumstances by praising God, Some of the greatest hymns that have ever been written were written by people who had had faced the worst possible circumstances. And their response was to write a worship song to God. This is what David is saying. I'm hiding in this cave, possibly going to die. Let me write a worship song. Let me sing praises to God. 
I might not ever get out of here. So how about the last thing that I do is to praise God. Notice, he wants to give thanks and sing praise. Why? Why in the middle of the worst possible circumstances does David want to sing praise to God? He gives us three reasons at the end. And they're the reasons that have already been listed in the psalm. It's the great, great re-expression of the fullness of this psalm at the end. First, he wants to sing praises to God for his loving kindness. For your loving kindness is great to the heavens. There's another psalm, and we've actually turned it into a popular song today in our generation. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness or your truth or your, your, your kindness reaches to the sky, it goes up to the clouds. So God's loving kindness, God's exalted truth, and then God's great glory. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all of the earth. Friend, hear me this morning. No matter what you're going through, and you could be going through a lot, But no matter what you're going through, there are three things that remain true without wavering at all. One, God, for his people, has great mercy-filled love. Even if you're at the worst possible place that you think that you can be, if you were in Christ Jesus, God has great mercy. Mercy-filled love for you. Second, God's truth is exalted above all other things. God is always true. Even when you feel like he is false. Hey, listen, we're going to get to them as we keep marching through the Psalms. There are plenty of Psalms, and we've seen a few of them already. We're basically, whoever's writing the Psalm is like, God, where are you? Why are you letting the world be like this? Why are you letting the wicked get away with stuff? Why do the righteous suffer? Where are you asleep? Do you slumber? Have you gone away? Are you far off? Do you not know? There, there are great psalms of complaint against God. All of them conclude with, but you know what? No matter what's going on right now, we know that you're a good God. That you're a true God and that your truth will prevail over whatever it is that's happening right now. God's truth is exhausted and then exalted. And then finally, God's great glory. Friend, the reason why we often buckle under the difficulty of our circumstances Rather than 
turning to worship God in spite of our circumstances is because we view our comfort as something more glorious than God and his plan. It is idolatry of self. God, I don't know what you've got going on right now, but you need to get smart about it and you need to change your plans up because this isn't working for me. I've never said that in my life. Yeah, but we've thought it and we've prayed it. We try to barter with God. God, if you'll just get me through, I'll. As if we can negotiate with him in that way. God, if you really love me, God, why are you doing this to me? God, why are you making me go through this? Had a dear friend a bunch of bunch of years ago. And I, I worked at the church where his, his dad was the senior pastor. And he and his wife found out that they were going to have a baby. Everybody was super excited about it. And then they found out that the baby had a really rare condition where a number of the organs were being grown on the outside of the baby. And there's there's no good prognosis for that condition. It's just not. It's just not. Usually, the child dies in the womb by way of miscarriage. Sometimes there's a live birth and the child maybe makes it maybe a week, maybe two. There's just no good prognosis for it. Of course, they're crushed. They're crushed. Man, you know. And he was in ministry and he did a bunch of stuff and he served the Lord and he loved Jesus and he had committed his life to a lot of different things like that. And and just kind of take his mind off things. He and his dad, who's a pastor, they, they went to go play golf. They love playing golf together and they went to play golf. And my friend said to his dad, he was just he was just broken. You know, he was just broken. As any of us would be, he was broken. And his statement to his dad was, he's like, I, you know, I love, I love the Lord. I love Jesus. I'm committed to his work. I'm committed to his ministry. I'm committed to his way of life. Why would he do something like this to me? And his dad, with all the love that he could muster for his son without missing a beat, said, son, why do you think that you get to be exempt from suffering? God is still good, even though you're going through the worst possible pain right now. And it's really hard for us as broken and fallen human beings to acknowledge that God's glory is exalted above everything, especially the glory of our creature comforts in this life. And we want to lie to ourselves and say, if God really loved me, if God really cared about me, if God really was concerned for me, if God really was worried about my well-being, he wouldn't let these things happen to me. And friends, that's a real, listen, hear me. That's a real natural response of a broken heart. I've said it plenty of times in my own life. 
Plenty of times in my own life, I have prayed that prayer. So hear me this morning. I'm not throwing the hammer on you. I've been there. I've done that. I've got the postcard. Frequent flyer miles to that place is what I have. God really cared. God was really good like he says he is. Wouldn't be like this. And without fail, the Holy Spirit convicts the heart. and says, oh, so the idol of your comfort and well-being is greater than whatever glorious purpose God has for the thing that you're going through right now. Mm. Oh, so your peace of mind and your comfort and your good feelings outrank in every way the sovereign wisdom of a good God to give you this circumstance right now. David is hiding in a cave. From a man who early in his life was like a father to him. Whose son was like a brother to him. Who he calmed with his music and sang to him to ease the darkness that was in Saul's heart and mind. He fought for him and went to war with him. And now, no fault of David's whatsoever... This man is using every power that he has to try and kill David. And David, with very few companions, is hiding from this man in a cave. Not knowing if that day will be his last day to live. And his response to the circumstance that he finds himself is, God, why would you do that to me? That's not what he said. His response is, be exalted above the heavens. Oh God, let your glory be above all the earth. And friend, I want to tell you, it's really easy to say that. On a Sunday morning in an air-conditioned room where you feel safe and you can forget your problems for about an hour and a half. It's really hard to say that when you're curled up in a fetal position in a corner somewhere in your house wondering how you're going to make it through because of whatever it is that you're going through. And David was in the worst possible place that he could be in. And his response was, God, you are Exalted. And friends, this morning, as we close. If you have Christ. You are richly blessed. And there is nothing in this world that is of greater value than that salvation in Jesus Christ. Nothing. And the heart cry that you and I should be able to have 
regardless of our circumstances, in every situation, if we find ourselves in the covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ is, God, you are exalted. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you are a good God. Thank you that you are a God of grace, a God of protection, a God of work, a God of salvation, a God of judgment, a God of mercy and truth, and that you have an abundance of loving kindness, you have exalted truth, and you are full of glory. Father, forgive us when we make an idol of our own comfort. Forgive us when we make an idol of our own longing for peace and happiness. God, forgive us. Forgive us when we exalt our glory above your glory. Father, make us to have the cry that Christ himself had, not our will, but your will be done. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to